Mindset, mindset, mindset. Everyone references it. But does anyone know exactly what it is and how do you strengthen and improve it? Mindset is how we observe, decode, and experience the world around us. One of the most powerful practices to shape and strengthen our mindset is gratitude. It's a practice that has helped me through many tough times and allowed me to enjoy also the more blissful times. And that's why I'm excited here today to introduce you to Chris Shembra, a gratitude expert and the author of Gratitude and Pasta, along with his latest book, Gratitude Through Hard Times, a Wall Street Journal best-selling book. In this episode of Breaking Sales, Chris enlightens us on how practicing gratitude can help you work through performance ruts and build a mindset that fosters resilience. Let's get going. Chris, I'm really excited to have you. I mean, you wrote Gratitude and Pasta, Gratitude Through Hard Times, which I read, Wall Street Journal, best-selling author. That's pretty damn cool. But more importantly, I love the topic of gratitude. You know, you had a point or you had a character, a friend of yours in one of your chapters of Gratitude Through Hard Times. His name was David. And it was like my story. Um, I remember when I first started my consulting business, I was 18 months into this thing um, back in 2006, 2007. And I didn't have a single dime, revenue, client, clue. I had a mortgage. I had two young children, health insurance, utilities, groceries. I was like zero for eight, zero for nine on trying to earn somebody's business in this sales performance coaching space that I'm in. And I had neighbors saying he needs to go back to corporate America. He's silly. He's stupid. What is he doing? He's irresponsible. He's got a family. I mean, I just heard the chatter and I felt the weight. And so I do remember reading a book at the time um, called Law of Attraction. And in that book, it talked about being grateful, it talked about this idea of abundance. And so every morning I started journaling and I remember, I still have all my journals too. I just remember I would just journal anything that was positive. Hey, this person bought me a coffee or hey, this person smiled at me. This person held the door for me. That person let me in on the highway. I literally was looking for everything positive in my day. My daughter smiled when I got home. Um, I had a good workout, got up in the morning, felt good, right? Everything, because in that book, I remember Law of Attraction that said, what we focus on is what we create. And so I, I just started doing it and I haven't stopped since. And I was very fortunate that my business um, has definitely taken off since then. So when I got introduced to you and I read your book, Gratitude, I'm like, okay, I can't wait to talk to this guy. I cannot wait to have Chris on the, uh, on the podcast. So I'm excited that you're here. Dan, thanks for having me on. And thank you to Carson and the entire team at ArcBound for introducing us together. You know, when they, uh, when they described who you were and what, you know, what you're trying to bring more of into the world, I just knew we were aligned. You know, we help people lead with empathy and sell with their heart and connect with people in a meaningful way. And so it's a pleasure to be with 
You hear today someone who, by the way, has an existing gratitude practice. And if you really listen back to what you just said, you practice gratitude in the way we love to teach gratitude. So many people think of gratitude as this self-reflective practice they just do to things in their life. I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for the sunshine. I'm grateful for this home. I'm grateful for these things. What you just said to kick off this podcast is talking about your gratitude practice by saying, I'm grateful to that person. I'm grateful to that person. I'm grateful to that person. Barbara Fredrickson is a great researcher that we follow that says to be grateful is to be grateful to someone. And I'm so happy to hear you talk about gratitude in that way to kick off today's call. We've been coaching sales professionals and sales leaders now for 16 years. And you know, there's such a struggle there on how do I get my business up and running as a sales professional, right? How do I build my pipeline? And I have to reach out to all these people. And when I reach out to all these people, I know there's rejection coming. And so what typically happens is a sales professional puts off the hard complicated work because they don't want to deal with the rejection. So they procrastinate, they're uncertain, they lack confidence, maybe a little bit of imposter syndrome. And what I liked about your book and what I loved about your message was that how simple gratitude is to build that inner strength where you're not worried about the rejection, right? You're not worried about other people's thoughts or opinions because you've had this like calmness inside you. I thought that was awesome. I know every one of our listeners could, could use that, that, that practice. Well, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing you talk about, Dan, the, the idea of seeking rejection to build internal resilience and being grateful for those learnings is a tool for sales enablement and, and growth. So I'll tell you the story of my friend, Scott Case. Scott, uh, among many things, founding CTO of Priceline.com, executive director and CEO of Startup America with Steve Case, who he's not actually related to, uh, who founded AOL, has done a multitude of tremendous entrepreneurial ventures. I sat down with Scott a couple weeks ago here in New York City, and I said, Scott, what journey are you on next? He said, I'm on a rejection tour. I said, what do you mean? He said, I've got this new idea, a new business, a new thing I'd like to bring into the world. And my goal is to go out and get as many no's as humanly possible so that I can learn from my potential clients about what works, what doesn't work, what they're looking for in the market, how I can build a product or a service that satisfies their needs. See, so oftentimes, as sales professionals, we get a fake yes. And we say, oh my God, we got that quick win. I'm so excited for it. I'm grateful for this win. Woohoo! But those fake yeses might have just happened because uh, we got lucky or they had budget to spend or whatever. But did your solution actually meet their needs, the problem they needed solved? I don't know. 
we find greater learnings through the no's, the opportunities we didn't get, the rejection, than we do from the yeses. If we just get a thousand yeses in a year, that doesn't enable growth because we'll just stay selling the product that everybody's buying. True growth comes by seeking the no, by seeking rejection. Now, how does gratitude fit into that? Gratitude, we believe, is the act of acknowledging something of value, some kind of benefit we've received from others. As Barbara Fredrickson says, to be grateful is to be grateful to someone. Most people think of gratitude as a tool that needs to be used during good times, happy times, positive things. I'm grateful for the sun. I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for my parents who raised me in a right way. But gratitude, as we write about in our Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Gratitude Through Hard Times, it's all about using it as a tool to get you through hard times, as a sales professional, to get you through rejection. There's a researcher uh, named Philip Watkins who operates out of Eastern Washington University who coined the phrase called grateful processing. He found that when you can assign a series of positive benefits to a negative autobiographical experience and the positive benefits far outweigh the negative, you can be grateful for that. If the learnings that come through rejection as a sales professional outweigh, help you iterate your product, help you innovate your service greater than a couple quick short wins, well, then that rejection taught you a lot. But in order to survive constant rejection as a sales professional, we need to build up our own internal resources. That's a really good statement to survive because when someone's in a hole or in a rut, whether they have 10 years of sales experience or 25 years or five years, right? When they're in a rut, they feel it, right? They procrastinate the hard work. They, people revert, as we both know, to what we've always done and what they've always done or what they've currently done is not working, but they'll revert to it under pressure situations. So when people get in a rut, it can be really deep and strenuous and it's, how do they get themselves out of it, right? So maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Like how does someone start pulling themselves out of that mental rut that's really the true thing that's holding them back? If you're in a rut, I understand where you're coming from. I understand where you are. I've been there myself. And oh, by the way, you're not alone. You're actually positioned in the best place you can be right now in your life. I'll quote two things. Studies show that the majority, uh, Jim Collins wrote about this in his book, Good to Great, the greatest companies in the world were founded during recessions. A recession, a hard time, a rut in the world exposed something that needed to be innovative something that need to be fixed, something that need to be shook up. And entrepreneurial, sales-oriented characters came in and built something and then brought it to the world. So if you're in a rut, 
there are other people in a rut alongside you, and that's the opportunity to innovate. There's a whole chapter in our book called Found When You're Down. There's a writer named Kurt Vonnegut who wrote in the 1950s and in the 1960s, wrote a, a, a lot of wonderful, great things uh, in American literature. And one of the things that he went out and studied was what makes a story good? Now we're salespeople. We're all selling something and telling some kind of story in order to get our customers to buy into our journey. Kurt Vonnegut found that any story, journey, or sales process follows uh, essentially six emotional arcs. Every movie, book, film, TV show that's ever been created follows one of six emotional arcs. Got the rags to riches story. You got the boy meets girl. You got the Cinderella story. My favorite is the man in the hole. And what Binghamton University in the 1980s then went out and did is study the box office numbers of thousands of movies to study which emotional arc was pound for pound the most successful narrative. It was the man in the hole story. The story of the protagonist walking down the street, doing his thing, falling into a hole, a rut, a depression, a recession, a period of sales stagnancy, learning some stuff, climbing out of the hole, and the new normal that he's walking down the street is better than where he started his walk. You can take movies like The Shawshank Redemption. Main character, walking down the street, gets thrown in prison, learns some stuff, starts funneling around the warden's money, breaks his way out of prison, goes down and buys a hotel in the Caribbean, brings his best friend Morgan Freeman with him. They have a good time. His new normal is better than where he started. And I say that to say, if you're in a rut, if you're in a period of stagnancy, Look around with curiosity and empathy and connection and say, what can I learn from this dark period of time knowing that if I get out of it, I'm going to be better off than where I started by far. I like that. What can you learn? I mean, talk about sales success and, and revenue potential on December 10th, 1918, Oh, December 13th, 1918, December 10th, 1913. Ah, my dates are screwed up. Anyways, Thomas Edison was sitting down to dinner in Edison, New Jersey, having a cozy little meal. And his son comes rushing in. Dad, dad, you got to come quick. The factories are burning down. Thomas finishes his meal, saunters over across town, and sees eight different fire units trying to put out the blaze that's rapturing half of his factories. He's calmly standing there watching his life's work burning down. He looks at his son and says, you better go get your mom and all her friends. They're not going to want to miss a fire like this. This is amazing. Studies would show that Thomas Edison lost about $900,000 that night in IP, in machinery, in tools, in whatever. That was about a year's worth of his revenue. But instead of being depressed and stagnant 
and crippled by fear and overwhelm and anxiety and exhaustion. The next day, he started to rebuild again with a generous loan from Henry Ford and with the support of his local community, they rebuilt. By the next December, 12 months later, he made 10 million bucks that year. And the rest is history. He 10X'd his revenue by surviving his worst times, his rut. This was the best thing that ever happened to him. Now, what would you say to those who might say, okay, that's a great story, Chris and Dan, but how does that apply to me, right? You know, that's a great story. Thomas Edison's this famous dude, and obviously he was hardwired in some way for some kind of natural resilience within his DNA, right? How does that relate to me? I'm just trying to make my number, or I'm just trying to make my goals, or I'm just trying to get out of this rut. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the word hardwired, hardwired for resilience. The fact is, there's only one thing that you can be truly born with, intellect, intelligence. The emotional stuff, resilience, optimism, pride, hope, gratitude, empathy, can be built over time. See, EQ, IQ, EQ. EQ, you don't have to be born with. You can develop it like a muscle. You can't build IQ. You're born with either you're born dumb or you're born smart. I hate to say it. But emotional resilience, interpersonal effectiveness, emotion regulation, that can be built over time. So how does gratitude impact this emotional resilience that Thomas Edison might have had to rebuild the immediate next day? So we, as humans, you as listeners, are likely walking around with what's called a negative memory bias. Studies show that the average human processes nine bits of negative information for every one bit of positive information. Heck, it's what kept us alive when we were cavemen, when we were running around the world, having to think at every second of the day, don't eat that berry, that'll kill you. Don't stray too far from the pack, the lion will eat you. Don't do this, don't do that. We had, we're wired to focus and process the negative. The quote-unquote pursuit of happiness or the pursuit of positive, happy, pleasurable emotions is only a relatively new invention in human history. It's very new. It's a couple thousand years old. The pursuit of happiness is only like 200 years old. And the truth is we have less threat of death being eaten by a lion, eating the wrong berry, doing the wrong thing that results in death, we have that a lot less these days, which means we should probably overcome the way we're wired and focus less on the negative and focus more on the positive. See, we have a choice every day. We either wake up and dwell on what's wrong, the negative, what can be corrected, what can be fixed, what's broken, or we can appreciate the positive. We can help those positive things go right. We can make that energy contagious. Barbara Fredrickson is that researcher I mentioned before who did a research called the Broaden and Build Theory of Positive Emotion. She actually found that when you have a grateful disposition, it broadens the brain's ability 
to think positively and broadens our thought action repertoire. Our thought action repertoire is when we have a negative thought action repertoire, we're walking around the world in a fight or flight mechanism with narrow blinders on. We can't see the future. We can't see the periphery. We can't find the good through the overwhelming bad. Gratitude broadens that thought action repertoire needed to see the positive. Hope, pride, optimism, self-confidence, self-efficacy. So gratitude rewires our brain. And in doing so, it defends us against those negative intrusive thought patterns from corrupting us again. Because that's really all resilience is. Resilience has nothing to do with our response to external stimuli. Resilience has everything to do with how we control our internal thought patterns. Because the truth is, the world could be burning around us and we could have a positive mental attitude. The world could be doing great around us and we could have a negative mental attitude. It's not determined by the things around us, it's determined by how we look at the things within us. That's perspective. We have 100% control over that. Gratitude shifts us from the negative, the fight or flight, the amygdala filter, the, the, the negative response pattern, the fear, the overwhelming anxiety, to the positive. I'm resilient. I can get through this hard time. I've done it once before. I can do it again. There's so much that you just shared there. Um, I love that idea of new pathways and how we can create new pathways. You know, I think about loss aversion, right, which is what you just said. It's our instinctual mindset on how we gather, filter, and decode maybe what's about to happen situationally or interaction that we're in and how we focus on the negative. What if I ask this and it doesn't come out right? What if I ask this and I upset them or I piss them off unintentionally? Or what if I say this and they misunderstand it and they become angry, right? And then we pull back because we just filtered what was going to happen in the future from a negative standpoint. And so what do we do? We pull back from it and we don't ask the question. We don't make the statement. We don't add to the interaction, right? We become like almost, um, we become like a hostage within ourselves. We hold back. You just used a lot of what if statements. What if this happens? What if that doesn't happen? What if she doesn't love me? What if he does want to fire me? And that prevents us, those what if statements prevent us from taking the action we need to take in our own life. Seneca, one of the great Roman Stoic philosophers, once stated that we suffer more in imagination than in reality. These what if statements are a product of a future-oriented mindset gone wrong. Now, here's what I mean by that. It is great to think about the future. It is great to have our sights set on a North Star. It is great to align whatever we do in the present based on where we want to be in the future. But what happens oftentimes, especially as sales professionals, when we set too big of goals or have too big of what-if statements about the future, we forget to live in the present.
Oftentimes we end up measuring the distance between where we are and where we want to be in the future. And that gap is filled with anxiety, overwhelm, and uncertainty. It's filled with a bunch of what if statements. And so the antidote to living so anxiously about the future where we suffer in imagination more than reality, is to anchor ourselves beautifully in the present and take a brief step into the past. Gratitude is the link to both. Gratitude is the link to get us into the past, to actually acknowledge the overwhelming amounts of positive value and benefits that we've received in the past. So often we're focused on how we haven't hit that next goal that we forget about all the amazing things we've done to reach our own goals this past year. And so gratitude brings us, I'm so grateful for the third grade teacher that gave me my first violin. I am so grateful for that stranger who held the door open for me so I didn't drop the cake that I baked for my mom. I'm so grateful for all those things that happened in the past. That develops a positive mindset needed to ground us while we anxiously seek the blessings of tomorrow. That was Chris Shembra, gratitude expert and author of Gratitude and Pasta and Gratitude Through Hard Times. Tune in next time to hear Chris and I continue our conversations where we'll dive further into how using gratitude can strengthen your resolve, ignite courage to take on risks, and deepen your valued relationships. Until next time.